as you uh, sit, find your seat, a seat, or some seat again. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn uh, to James chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 1. I don't mind if you open a phone, an iPad, a memory, whatever you want to find James chapter 1. Um, this morning, uh, my conclusion is also my introduction. So I'm going to jump in, and some of the things I say will sound familiar because I'm going to say them at the beginning and at the end, which reminds me of a funny story. <laughs> I actually wasn't planning on this one. Um, I have a good friend. Am I in the wrong place? You're there. Okay. Uh, I have a good friend named Dave. If you know Dave Knoll, he sort of brings joy wherever he goes. Dave and I were eating uh, lunch out or dinner. We happened to be at a restaurant that had many, many items on the menu, like 80 or 90 items. And so um, I get the same thing in every restaurant I ever go to, so that was easy for me. Dave's going through it, and he says um, to the person at the register, what's the difference between number two and number nine? And completely seriously on her face, she said, number two, number nine, same. Um, so conclusion, introduction, same, all right? Took a long way to get to that one, all right. This is James' instruction for God's people. I'm going to read through my conclusion introduction, then we're going to jump into the scripture, and then we'll see what God wants to say to us. This is James talking to the people of God, and, and basically he says, take time, take real time to listen to God and to listen to people. Be careful, be slow, slow to speak, slow to get angry, but quick to listen. Take off your moldy clothes of sin and posture yourself to receive God's word. Humbly open yourself to allow the Holy Spirit of God to plant his truth in you. He goes on to say, recognize that true hearing of God's word means action. And um, tells us not just to hear God's word, but to practice it, to obey, to do something with what God has said to us. He encourages us to direct our gaze to the law that gives freedom. And if we stay focused there and act on, it, act on it, if our life is formed by the gospel of Jesus, if we interact with the, the words and the, um, the lifestyle and the wonder of Jesus, our lives will be formed by it and we'll be blessed and we'll be happy and peaceful. And so if we want to know that our faith is authentic and that we are a blessing to God and others, he says again, watch how you speak. Be careful how you interact, not just with God's people, but with all people. And care for those who are vulnerable and in need and be aware and careful to what extent the world rubs off on you. That's my summary of those nine verses. Let's pray. God, uh, even in summary, it seems like an awful lot to me. But I thank you that this is the word that you have appointed for us to hear, to dive into, to meditate on, to chew, to digest, and to let it empower our lives for worship and for witness. So we ask that you would do it in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do for the next, <laughs> I got one of these up front. All right, amen. 
So what do I want to do for the next 20 minutes or so? I'm going to read through the different uh, portions of this scripture, James chapter 1, 19 to 27, and I'll make some comments, and then um, we'll pray for one another. James 1, starting in 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So these first couple of verses, James is is jumping right in, saying take time, take real time to listen to God. Slow to speak, slow to get angry, but quick to listen. True faith James tells us, will affect what we say and what we do. Quick to listen, that's an adverb. Remember what an adverb is? Remember from school? An adverb modifies the verb. So about listening, quick to listen. About speaking, slow to speak. About getting angry, slow to get angry. Um. Sometimes when I hear, I mean, I'm, some, I'm a person of a lot of words sometimes, but sometimes when I'm sitting with someone and they just kind of dump out a whole bunch of words and I, I don't really know what I'm even supposed to respond to, I just look at them and I say, tell me how I can help you. Rather than adding more words to it, I just want to ask, how can I help you? Or if I'm talking to the woman that the Lord God gave me, that's my wife, I sometimes will just say, How can I best serve you now? Do you want me to give my opinion on what you just said, or do you just want me to listen? And usually it's, yeah, just listen. James goes on, he says, don't let your anger grow. Be be slow to anger. But I, I would say we also have to find out what's under the anger. One of the ways that we can be slow to anger is to find out what's under the anger. I think Larry Crabb a long time ago used to say that um, to find out what we're angry about, it's usually something about a goal being thwarted. So you wonder where your anger is. What goal am I trying to achieve that's being thwarted right now? That might point you to what's the source of your anger. I read uh, Tim Keller on this, and Tim Keller asks this question when he gets angry. I thought it was really helpful. What do I love so much that I'm angry about it? Because it frames anger as a way that can be positive. Righteous anger, anger against injustice. I love so much the people out there that God cares for that I'm angry at injustice. But it can turn inward too, right? I, am, I love my own quiet time by myself so much that I get angry when this person comes in on it or I love so much my comfort, or I love so much my material possessions, or I love so much my fill-in-the-blank, that it's causing me anger. Anger so easily closes the mind to truth and reason. Do you know that? You ever been whipped up into a rage and you realize all reason goes out out of your head? It's hard to be logical when you're exceptionally angry. And so James says, be very slow to move to anger. Why? Because our anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. I think in our country right now, this might be something we need to hear. 
that our anger as believers does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Anger at injustice that leads to action and care for the poor and the vulnerable, absolutely. Anger that just attacks another person or another side or another aisle does not bring about God's righteousness. Love and sacrifice bring about God's righteousness, not our anger. And so maybe when you feel anger or you feel like your fuse is being lit quickly to go to anger, you ask this question, if my anger isn't furthering God's righteousness right now, what is my anger furthering? If me in my anger isn't bringing about righteousness out there, then what is it bringing about in my own life or through my life? James chapter 3 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James goes on, he says, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. The image here to get rid of is to, is to take off dirty clothes. To, to take off your dirty clothes. Um, we recently had a car that died. And so we're looking for a car. And um, so we borrowed a car from someone that we know. And they warned us before we got into the car that there were some old, wet, sweaty clothes that had been in the car for a while, six months, and uh, the car had not actually been driven. And so we go to this place to receive this gift of this beautiful car, and um, as one of the people put it, the car had its own biome. Now, I don't smell very well, but even I could smell a little something. So I drive the car home. I'm in the car for I don't know how long. And when I walk home, Jane gives me this really strange look. And um, she comes up and she kind of like sniffs next to me. She says, get those clothes off right now. Apparently, my clothes had taken on the biome of the car. And rather than Old Spice, it was like Old Sweat, I think. Um, and it smelled horrible. And so I had to take the clothes off, wash the clothes twice to make sure that I wasn't walking around with the filth of what was around me. That's the picture that James is getting at, is get rid of all moral filth. Get the evil that's out there so much. Just change your garments. Over and over in the New Testament, we're told, we're told to be clothed with Christ or clothed with righteousness. I don't think James is meaning to condemn. I think James is fully intending to invite us in to let go of those things that cause a stench in the nostrils of God, in the nostrils of others that we are called to love. So take off the moldy clothes of sin and posture yourself to receive God's word. James says, humbly open yourself to allow the Holy Spirit to plant into your heart the word that can save you. Accept the words of life. I was wondering, you know, what does it mean to humbly accept the word? And I thought of it this way. It's to let the master do his work in you by planting the scripture there, by planting the word of truth, and then letting your works honor the master as that word does its work in you. And this is James' basic 
all through the book, he's just saying, if you hear it and if you know it, do it. So there's an action here. We change our clothes, and I just wonder, again, not condemning but inviting, is there any piece of moral, physical, spiritual clothing that Jesus would invite you to change this morning? Is there anything that's there that you can just, you just realize, even as, as I ask the question, that stinks everywhere I go? <laughs> it's time to take it off and throw it out. So that's our action, and we posture ourselves in attitude toward the Word to receive it humbly. The Word is the gospel and the life-giving words in the life of Jesus, and this Word is able to save us. Move on to verse 22. James says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And it's like James is saying, do you recognize, can you be conscious of the fact that truly hearing God's words means action? The, a Hebrew understanding, so the Hebrew word for um, hear, though it's not written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek, but Jesus would have been speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, and they would have heard him say Shema, you know, the Shema, the hero Israel. That Hebrew word for um, hear, shema, brings along with it the idea that we will obey. So for the Hebrew, hearing this, don't just be hearers but also doers, that makes perfect sense to them. Because to hear is to do for the Hebrew mind. To hear is to obey. Did you ever wonder why Jesus would say, like a couple of times, let him who has ears hear? I mean, doesn't that kind of like, I mean, no offense, Jesus, but duh. No, what he's saying is if you have ears and the sound waves make some vibrations, then let the vibrations of truth go through your soul and do something through your hands. In other words, to hear is to obey. And Jesus consistently encourages the disciples and all who will listen to him hear implicit in that and do what it is that I've told you to do. If the sound waves of truth are impacting your ears, allow the power of the truth to move your soul to action. And then James goes into this funny thing. The person who hears but doesn't do is like a person who looks at a mirror, and then when they walk away, they forget what they look like. The word here for gaze at the mirror doesn't mean just a glance. It means to study. It means to look intently. The way you do before you're going to go out, I mean, I think most of us, we look in the mirror and we make sure everything's practically perfect in every way, right? And then we walk out to present ourselves to the world. So what James is saying here is the one who has heard and understood pretty intently in the Word, has heard the Word of God, and then chooses, not forgets, chooses not to do it um, that person is a fool. That person misses the whole concept of the word of God to them and through them in their lives. 
So I think what James is encouraging us is not so much that we're reading and hearing and studying the Bible just for information, but for formation. We're not just reading to find out more about Jesus. We're reading to become more like Jesus. We're not just reading the Bible, but we're letting the Bible read us. We're letting the Bible have impact on us. Mark Twain, I think Mark Twain, I hope that's who I've given this to, says, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. In other words, maybe it's time for us as people not to think so much about all those tricky parts that we want to have theological discussions about, but what about the part that's plain? Love your enemies. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Accept one another as God in Christ has accepted you. The stuff that's crystal clear, maybe that's the stuff for us to be looking at right now. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Isn't that a beautiful phrase to gaze intently into the law, the perfect law that brings freedom? So he's not just talking about the scriptures. He's talking about the living word Jesus and all the words of Jesus that come to us. What does it look like for us to to gaze intently on that law, to study the life of Jesus, to hear the words of Jesus to us, to not just hear them, but to do them, to direct our gaze to the perfect law that gives freedom and stay focused there. James promises blessing. And here's how N.T. Wright explains that whole gazing to the perfect law and remaining in it. He talks about it like um, driving rules. Obviously, in the United States, we drive on the right side. And in some other countries, they drive on the left side. If you choose in the United States to abandon the law of driving on the right, it'll be fine for you for about a minute. And then you will have the consequences of taking your gaze off the law and doing what you want. You could decide the right side of the road is done. It feels constricting to you to have to just stay in one lane. God's design for our way of life is good. When we walk in the boundaries, the loving, perfect boundaries that God gives us, it allows us freedom to drive. We get to move place to place. If we make up our own rules, if we take our eyes away from the rules, if we decide, I'm tired of being restricted by this, by this law, then obviously there will be consequences for that. That's why James can say this is the law that brings freedom, not the law that brings bondage, but the law that brings freedom. We are free to walk as God would have us walk, with joy, with peace, with endurance, And when we make up our own laws and rules, well, I think we all know what happens. This doesn't mean that you'll never get in an accident if you always drive on the right side, right? Doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen in your life if you stay to this perfect law, the law of love. But that's where faith comes in. And then we're back to James 1 when Adam told us that um, following Jesus and the principles that he gives us sometimes might lead to persecution, to challenge, to trials. 
But James here promises a reward for those who stay connected to, keep their gaze intently on that life and the love of Jesus. If your life is formed by the gospel, by the words, the witness, and the wonder of Jesus, James says you will be blessed. Good translation for blessed, happy. Verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that our faith is authentic when we're not willing to keep a guard on our tongue, diligent in what we say. How we speak matters maybe more than we recognize. The way we communicate, the heart with which we communicate with people and the words that we use. So James says, if you want to know if your faith is authentic and a blessing to God and others, watch how you speak. 29 times in James, he gives some sort of uh, ethical uh, communication about what we should do with our mouths, about what we should do with our tongues, about how to communicate love in a loving way to people because he's concerned about the power of the tongue, and we'll get much more of this in chapter 3. He's concerned about the power of the tongue to destroy or to build up the people of God. He's longing for people to be built up, and he recognizes that so much of the tearing down and the building up in the church and outside in the culture happens right here. And what we choose to allow to come out of our mouth, you know, Proverbs says it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So I took this personally as an invitation just to say, Holy Spirit, would you like to examine the contents of my heart? Because I, I long to be an edifier in the body. I want to be an edifier out in the world. I want to bring encouragement. I want to bring faith. I want to bolster courage and love. I don't want to be one that, that tears down. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to in 21 years of ministry here who have been severely disabled emotionally or spiritually by a word spoken by something their father said or their mother said or a teacher said, something they heard, it, it, it can have such debilif- debilitating impact on our lives. So James is going hard after this to say, careful what comes out of your mouth. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So maybe this week is the time to allow the Holy Spirit to come and God, what's, what's, what's inside my heart? Why am I quick to go to anger right now? Why, why is my impatience right on the edge? Of course, I'm just talking theoretically. Verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. 
reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. The homeless and the loveless. I, I don't think James is saying the only way to be perfect before God is widows and orphans, but I think he exactly means taking care of widows and orphans. But I, I love the way Eugene Peterson expresses that as homeless and loveless. And I, I wonder, in, in your own context, who, who are the homeless? That might be physical, that might be spiritual, that might be emotional. Who are the loveless? Who are the ones that, that, that are longing for love and, and can't find it? Who desperately need you simply to be with them? Simply to express the presence of Jesus in their midst. To be a doer of the word involves caring for those in our lives and circles of influence who are vulnerable. And he ends with this, be aware and careful to what extent the world rubs off on you. I wonder if there is one particular aspect of current culture that you feel rubbing off on you. Is there, is there something you do with your mind or your computer or your television or your social media scroll or that allows the world to come in and, and have serious impact on your heart? I wonder what it would look like for us to get rid of one of those things. Just one of those things that might be staining us in some way, that might be corrupting us in some way, that takes the edge of love off of our hearts and puts bitterness or self-defense or accusation on us. So, my conclusion, which you may remember from my introduction, take time, real time, to listen to people in God. Be slow to speak, slow to get angry, take off the moldy clothes of sin and posture yourself to receive God's word. Humbly open yourself to allow the Holy Spirit to plant his truth in you. Recognize that true hearing of God's word means doing of God's word. Direct your gaze to the perfect law that gives freedom. Stay focused there and act on it. If our lives are formed by the gospel, by the words and the witness and the wonder of Jesus, then the promise is we will be blessed. We will be happy. We will find peace. And if you want to know that your faith is authentic, watch how you speak, care for those vulnerable and in need, and be aware and careful to what extent the world rubs off on you. If you can apply all of that, awesome. Have fun. It's great. If you're like me and all those commands and all those examples kind of sort of tinge my spirit with, my goodness, I feel overwhelmed. I've, I feel like there's something to, to do in every area of my life. Then... I suggest we ask the Lord who generously gives wisdom to those who believe. God, is there a single application point for me this morning? Is there one place, Holy Spirit, that you're inviting me to take a different view of my life, what I, what I, how I speak or what I do? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, theologian, and uh, martyr in World War II said this, 
one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. So it's quite unlikely you will remember all the points I made this morning. It's quite unlikely I will remember all the points I made this morning. But one act of obedience. Is there a place where God's speaking right now? You feel the conviction. For someone here, this is the word that came to me. I was putting together this message. The, as an application point, it, it sounds strange, but the word that came was make an awkward start. Just make an awkward start. Maybe you struggle in speech, whether you speak too much or too little. You use your, your words to hurt or demean. Just make an awkward start to examine your speech in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you struggle with sin and there's something that's just grabbed onto you and got you corrupted and corrupting. Make an awkward start at repentance. Maybe you struggle to live out your faith in ways that are visible in the world. Just make an awkward start. You struggle to posture yourself daily before God and his word. Just make an awkward start. You struggle to allow Jesus to love people practically through you. Just make an awkward start. You struggle with the world forming you into its mold. Just make an awkward start and take a stance. Uh, Jane and I have been married for over three decades now. And um, just this last week, we were having a very honest conversation about the way we interact, the way we speak to one another, and the way we listen to one another. And um, it was the first time that we found some understanding in one particular area that our communication could, could use a little help. And so you know what we did? We made an awkward start. And we've been having a conversation about our conversation for the last few days. And it's bringing joy to us. It's bringing joy. It's bringing a new sense of honesty and openness that I think we were missing. You know, you, you think, I just got, if I'm going to do any of this, i got to do it perfectly. No, you don't. Mm, some famous guy, can't remember who, said anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Make an awkward start. Let's stand. And if I could ask the ministry team to come forward. And Nancy. Is Nancy in here? Nancy um, Hendrickson? Nancy, would you be willing to, to give us that dream? Okay. The ministry team could come forward. I'll pray, and then I want Nancy to share something she shared with the team before. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for this word. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would release your power among us by the Holy Spirit. We ask, God, that you'd um, bring conviction, that we would have grace and faith to say no to condemnation, but that we would hear your clear invitation into a new way to, to listen to speak, to love, to act, to care. Um, in application, I thought, Nancy, if you'd share that uh, dream, I think that this is uh, for our ministry time. Yeah. 
Um, I had a dream this past week on Wednesday night, and in my dream, Logan and I were with a team. We were leading worship here, and Logan had a microphone at the drums. And just in the middle of our worship time, he started singing um, that old 90s worship song, Yes, Lord, Yes, Lord. And I was just like, Logan, stop it. It's so weird. Please stop it. Stop it. And, uh, he's just like going so strong. And then in the dream, I get a prophetic word that it's for the church. And we're gathered on a Sunday morning in the dream. And I just feel the Lord say, like, it's a time to, for people to trade their sorrows and their shame and to receive the joy of the Lord. And um, I told the team that this morning. So I feel like there's an invitation today specifically to trade sorrows and shame for the joy of the Lord. Thanks, Nancy. That's great. So if that word, that dream speaks to you, if that, if that touches something in you, you think this is a day, an invitation for you to, to trade sorrows and shame for joy, then I'd ask you to come forward and let someone on the ministry, ministry team pray for you. Or if you'd like prayer for, uh, for anything that's happening in your life, we would love to pray for you. So if you like ministry, come on forward. Otherwise, go out into the world with peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead. There's more. Come right here, Nick. Hello? Oh. Yeah. So I got a uh, little video in my mind during worship of someone uh, opening up a little envelope that had the report card in it and they were really afraid that they were going to get an A minus and when they opened it up they started to see that it was an A minus and then a lens came over and it was God view and the A minus turned to an A plus and there was a stamp that came out and it just said approved, 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 approved. So if there's anyone that is struggling with perfectionism uh, today, I just want to invite you to come up during ministry time and you can get prayer for that uh, and just let it sink into your heart that you are approved and you, you know, don't have to try to struggle and try and grunt. Uh, but yeah, just abide in him and know that you are approved and you don't need to bring it from an A minus to an A plus because that's already how he sees you. Awesome.